And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And you can follow me on the hour, sometimes on the minute, on my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY is my Twitter feed address. And uh, it's important to get to take that down because this program included, but all the programs that I've done in the past, I will be um, referring to things uh, uh, that I will be on the Twitter feed. In other words, I'll be talking about websites or books or news programs, and I'll have the links to them all up on my Twitter feed. Um, so that's where you should check for some of the things I'm going to be referring to, and I'll be doing that again today. So make sure you do that. At JakeJakeNY is my Twitter feed. And remember, this is also a podcast. Every single uh, Novak Now episode edition is saved on the Nachum Siegel Network archives, and I will link to that page as well on my Twitter feed. So you can check. It's been more than two years now, I think, of Novak Now programs, and uh, you'll be able to to listen to them and, and see the, the topics and everything else like that. Um, so I want to talk first about the state of the presidential election. Most of this uh, edition of Novak Now will be about the presidential election uh, specifically, but I want to talk about the state of the election right now. And of course, we usually rely on polls and pollsters to tell us the state of the race, and I'm here to tell you not to do that for a number of reasons, but let's just get to the, my assessment first before I throw cold water on other people's assessments. Um, my, assessment, my assessment is it's very close. It's very close. Um, there are, as you know, the U.S. presidential elections are not truly national elections. Now, they are elections where everyone across the nation is voting. That's true. But the term national election is kind of a misleading term, right? We don't decide who the president is going to be based on a national number. It is a state-by-state, state, as the founding fathers in the Constitution wanted it. It is a state-by-state state election, judged by, you know, determined by the Electoral College. And so we have several battleground states that will decide the election. Now, what I just said is not disputed by anybody. However, the insinuation that you get when you open a newspaper or listen to most news programs is a, a singular, almost a singular focus until the election starts to get really close. But there's almost a, there's definitely a majority focus on looking at elections as if they were about the overall total number of votes in the country. And that's not what elections are about, not presidential elections. That's not how it works. Um, so you got to look at these battleground states, and there are a number of states that are very, very important. And I want to talk about, first I want to talk about one that's very, very important. Now, for those of you who have read my columns on CNBC, seen my stuff online, who know me well, you know that I think that the state of Ohio is truly the most important and the, 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 most, the truest bellwether state in the country. And this has something to do, this is less to do with presidential elections as it has to do with culture and geography. But um, again, I will post it on my Twitter feed. I had a, a longer column in 2016 explaining why Ohio is such an important state. And it is a crucial state in elections. But mathematically, Ohio is worth, worth 18 electoral votes in an in a election that takes 270 to win. So it's not one of the top five or top six states electoral, in the Electoral College uh, tally. But it's still, to me, because of the cultural aspects of what Ohio is all about, really tells you a lot. So I don't want to start any discussion about the other states that are really up in the air before I remind everybody that I still think Ohio is the most important state. 
The funny thing about it, though, is that it just, it, Ohio seems to make up its mind sometimes sooner than other states do as far as the polls are concerned, polls that I trust. So my point being that even though it may not seem to you like Ohio is really a state that flips one way or the other and really makes a decision in an election, the fact is, with the exception of the 1960 presidential election when John F. Kennedy won in that very, very disputed election, Ohio has always ended up voting for the, the candidate who won the election. And that can tell you a lot more, much more than Florida has, for example, and, and other states. But Florida is really important in this election as well. And let me talk, tell you why I'm going to talk more about Florida than I am Ohio, because Ohio really, to me, looks like it's very settled for President Trump. I know you may have seen one or two polls that say Biden is ahead. They are not credible polls in any way, in my opinion. And I think most people would admit that President Trump is going to win Ohio, which is a tremendously positive sign for him. Because again, culturally, Ohio is the most culturally and geographically and economically mixed state in this country. It has all the different regions. I know California is a huge state with a lot of different things going on, but remember they have major, a major population center in the, south, in the south of that state that dominates the state, that, that being Los Angeles. Ohio is balanced between Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, Toledo, Dayton. All of the cities I just mentioned are really different from one another, economically and culturally and a lot of other ways. And it's the reason why Ohio is basically a test market for more than just politics. But Florida is really important this year. It always is important. It's worth 29 electoral college votes now, so of course it's always going to be important. But Florida is a state that's very split down the middle between Republicans and Democrats. So winning that state usually means that you've probably won over the swing voters in other states as well. Now, the only election that I can really remember that was really very contested where the loser won Florida was 1992 when President George H.W. Bush lost re-election, but he did win Florida. Although Bill Clinton came close to winning Florida, and his performance there told us a lot about how he would do in the rest of the country. But of course, Bill Clinton won Ohio in 1992, and that's why he won the election. But anyway, let's talk about Florida now, because Florida has added importance in this election, because my sources in the Biden campaign and in the Democratic Party for a year now have told me that they've put their heart and soul into Florida. When I would make their arguments to them about Ohio, and I would say, listen, Ohio is actually the state that is more of a bellwether for the country. They vehemently disagreed with me, and they said, no, it's Florida, 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 and we've got to win Florida. We're putting everything into Florida. So if the Biden team loses Florida, to me, it seems very unlikely that they will win the election because this is where they really put all their efforts, a tremendous amount of their efforts, I should say. And here's the funny thing about Florida. Florida has had, like many states, vote by mail, but Florida has extensive early voting. And the results are reported regularly, pretty much on the, on the half hour. The results are reported in Florida but not based on who people have voted for, as far as the name of the candidate, but they announce how many Republicans have voted early. They announce how many people who are registered as Democrats have voted early, and they announce how many people who are independent, not affiliated with either party, have voted early. And yes, there's a decent, sometimes in some places, there's a decent number of crossover. And by that, I mean maybe 5 6% of votes, meaning 5 or 6% of Republican voters will have end up, ended up voting for the Democrat candidate and maybe 5 or 6% of the Democrat voters will have ended up voting for the Republican candidate. But that's actually sort of rare. You can pretty much, pretty much, and it also pretty much evens out. So if you see a report from Florida or any other state that says 
uh, in the early voting so far, there's been 48% Republicans who have early voted, uh, 47% Democrats who have early voted, and 5% independents who have early voted. The Republicans probably have a little bit of a lead in that kind of a situation. Very unlikely that they don't. So that's really, you know, I, and I gave one that was a razor thin one. Obviously, in most counties and states, there'll be a bigger difference. Now, when vote by mail started in Florida, there was a huge advantage for the Democrats, as expected. We were expecting Democrats to vote by a margin of two to one in Florida vote by mail. And they did have a big lead as those vote by mail uh, ballots started to come in. But early voting started last week in Florida and Republicans have really dominated the early voting numbers, and so they have cut substantially into the lead that the Democrats had from vote by mail. So now I am looking almost on the half hour. I'm getting a little obsessed with it, and I'm sorry for that. I am looking at the ha- on, the, on the half hourly rate, looking at the numbers that as, as they come in from Florida, then they pretty much come in from about 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. And... Every time I click on an update, the, the lead that the Democrats have, and presumably Biden has in Florida, shrinks a little bit more. Now, here's the other factor you must remember. Republicans are expected to very strongly outnumber the number of Democrats voting on Election Day in Florida. So, in other words, the Biden and campaign and the Democrats need to have a substantial lead in early votes going into Election Day if they're going to hold Florida. Now, I've, now, how much, now, the question is, how much of a lead do they need to have? Now, I've heard a lot of different estimates. I've heard some people say it's got to be between 200 and 225,000 vote lead. I've heard even more people say it has to be well over 300,000 vote lead. As of Monday morning at 9 a.m., the Democrat lead in Florida in early voting over Republicans is at about 355,000 votes. But that's eight days into the election. And then on the, and as I said, on the hour, it seems like that lead has been evaporating by about a thousand during the active times of the day, which would mean that in about four days, that pretty much by everybody's estimate, if this, if this rate keeps up, the Democrats will have a situation where they don't have enough votes to overcome the election day turnout from Republicans. Now, again, Florida, I want to say one more thing about Florida uh, when it comes to Democrats and Republicans voting. You have a number of new, newly registered or relatively newly registered Democrats in Florida who we know will be voting for President Trump. That is the Venezuelan immigrant population. Remember, Venezuela has been going through this economic collapse for several years now. It's gotten much, much worse just in the last couple of years. So a lot of Venezuelans have come to Florida, and those who did have a chance to sort of hook up and get citizenship over the period of the last couple of years, not just the ones who've come in the last couple of years, because they probably wouldn't be able to get citizenship just if they've come in the last year or so. But the existing Venezuelan community has been very swayed by what's happened in Venezuela the last couple of years, and they've been very supportive of President Trump's opposition to Venezuela. So in other words, these are Venezuelan-born Americans who have, who, who have moved to Florida and become citizens many, probably several years ago, who are now seeing their community get larger because Venezuelans from Venezuela are coming in larger numbers who are not citizens yet. 
But the older Venezuelan Americans who have been living here for a while are now more likely to vote for President Trump. We know they support President Trump a lot, and they are registered Democrats for the most part. So there may be a big crossover vote from Democrats to President Trump in Florida just from that Venezuelan community. And the early voting numbers seem to be telling us that. Um, We're seeing in the Miami-Dade County, which is just really Dade County, but they kind of tried to change the name to Miami-Dade County, we're seeing a a, a nice big turnout from Republicans. And it seems like a lot of Democrats there are coming off the line and saying, hey, we voted for President Trump. So I think Florida is going to be won by President Trump. And moreover, I think that by the middle of this week, or, or at least the end of this week, we will definitively know that the Democrats don't have enough of a lead going into Election Day to win the election. Now, Florida is not enough just to win the election for anyone. But again, remember what I said earlier, the Democrats have put their hearts and souls into Florida for more than a year. If they see three, four days before Election Day that they can't win Florida, that will be incredibly demoralizing for them. And we will see it on the faces of whoever is representing the Biden campaign at that time. Doesn't mean President Trump's going to win, but I do think it's a good sign that he probably will win the whole thing if we see these numbers in Florida continuing at the rate that they're going. Now, again, look at my Twitter feed. I put up the website that you can click on yourself and you can be just as, just as obsessive as I am. The name of the website is called Joe is Done. And yes, it's put up by someone who does not like Joe Biden, but his numbers are not disputed. The numbers are very uh, um, truthful and obvious. And he's just, he's just um, basically cataloging what the state of Florida is putting out. He's not doing any of his own number stuff. He does a lot of analysis of the numbers that are coming in, but he doesn't fool with the numbers coming in. And he believes that Joe Biden needs a five percentage point advantage overall in all the early votes that come in. Again, a combined in-person early voting and vote by mail. He thinks Joe Biden needs a five percentage point lead, at least, at least, to have any chance of winning on election day in Florida. And right now he's at a 4.5% lead over President Trump. So he's already out of that range but of course, let's see if these numbers continue. Like I said, the, the Democrat advantage over Republicans in the combined vote by mail early voting in Florida is at 355,000. Most estimates say that around 300,000, if it gets that low, there's no way the Democrats can win. There's some that say, oh no, it's gotta be even lower than that. But whatever you're listening to, follow, you can follow these numbers. It's called Joe is Done and it's on my Twitter feed. I put it up already on my Twitter feed, so you can follow it as well. He has two different numbers there, the early voting numbers only and the combined early voting vote by mail numbers. And look at those numbers together, because that is really where you're going to see some important data about the election. Now, there are other states, of course, that are really important in this election. Now, the biggest reason why President Trump, if we're just talking about the Electoral College here, the biggest reason why President Trump won the 2016 election is because he surprisingly won three states that he was told, and we were all told by the pollsters, that he could not win. Those three states were Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And let's talk math here a little bit. Pennsylvania is worth 20 electoral college votes. Michigan is worth 16 electoral college votes. And Wisconsin is worth 10 electoral college votes. Now, President Trump won the election with 306 Electoral college votes, you need 270 to win. If he, if you were to take away Pennsylvania with 20, Michigan with 16, and Wisconsin with 10, then he comes up short. He ends up with only 260 electoral college votes, and he wouldn't have won in 2016. Now, the numbers haven't changed. You should know that when the census report comes in, 
every 10 years they do change the electoral college numbers or throughout the country, but that is not happening in this election. This will, the next election, 2024, we're going to see some different numbers. So this election has the same electoral college numbers per state as we had in 2016. So we're talking about the same math here. Now, a lot of people have noted that if President Trump wins Florida, North Carolina, and Arizona, which are three states that are very close, then he only needs to win one Midwestern state that I just mentioned to win the presidency. In other words, he could lose Pennsylvania, he could lose Michigan, but if he wins the 10 electoral college votes in Wisconsin, he would still have enough to win. Just barely, but he would have enough. Now, another Midwestern state has come into play and clearly is very close right now, and that's Minnesota, and that is worth another 10 electoral college votes. So now we have another Midwestern state in play that could also make the difference in the election. And then there are two other states that equal 10, the 10, the magic number 10 that he would need if he's able to hold Florida, Wisconsin, and North, sorry, Florida, Arizona, and North Carolina. And that is there are two states that could also flip to President Trump that didn't go last time, Nevada and New Hampshire. Nevada's worth six electoral college votes, New Hampshire's worth four. Six plus four equals 10, and that would be a magic number as well. So these are all states that are in play. And again, you may have noticed at this point that I'm not talking like 99% of all the other political pundits out there who are talking about this huge Biden lead, or that maybe they're saying it's getting a little closer. Look, folks, this is the real election that I'm talking to you about right now. I'm talking about all these states that are very much in play. Now, I think North Carolina is going to be closer than last time. Although I would, I'd, I'd be surprised if President Trump doesn't win it, and I feel the same way about Arizona. Now, the pollsters are telling you otherwise. Not all. Some of them are starting to come around to the fact that Arizona, at least Arizona, is going to, you know, may, might end up going Republican again and going for President Trump. But again, folks, the pollsters are should be like a house of cards to you. And when I say pollsters, I mean the, the most of the major pollsters. When you have pollsters who are telling you, oh. Biden has, you know, should win Florida by, by two to one. His, 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 the chances of him winning are two to one, which is a great, great odds for him. And if Florida, as we're starting to see, is nowhere near that already. Again, they, the, the Democrats are getting to that place where they don't have enough pre-election numbers to win. So if these pollsters who are telling you that Biden has got a tremendous advantage, he's going to win the election, are wrong about such a crucial state like Florida, then you should start. I would hope that you would doubt them from the beginning, but you should doubt them even more after that. And so on and so on and so on. There's a lot of electoral college map, math that we can do, but I want to talk about pollsters right now because there's something that a lot of people are not understanding about pollsters, and it's very similar to the betting markets. Now, I'm not a gambler, and I have to say I am so dismayed. Maybe you are as well. I'm so dismayed by the incredible footprint that sports gambling has made on our society, especially here in the New York area, New York, New Jersey area, just in the last couple of years. Um, it's a huge part of advertising. Again, I, I'm not, as you would say, naive. <laughs> I know that sports gambling is going to go on, and I can understand the argument for the state regulating it, legalizing it, and taking some tax money from, from it. And I actually generally agree with all that. But here's what I don't agree with. I don't like to see massive advertising for sports gambling trying to create new addicts and new people who are going to become gamblers and succumb to that. I don't like that. I really don't like my tax money being used for those kinds of advertisements. Not so much, now that isn't happening so much in sports gambling, but that's been going on for 40, maybe even 45 years when it comes to the lottery games. The state lottery games, again, I think are also kind of a, a regulated evil by the state. I'm not naive. I know people will still do lotteries and numbers games illegally, so you might as well do it legally. 
But you understand that our tax money is used day, day in and day out to run advertisements to induce people and lure people into lottery games, which I think is just beyond immoral and really, really terrible. But that's a discussion for another time. But there's a similar thing going on with polls. Polls are meant for reasons other than predicting who is going to win. I know. Wait a minute. You're hitting your head here saying, wait, how could Jake actually say that? How could Jake Novak say that polls and the pollsters have a job other than predicting the elections? Well, it's actually very easy to believe when you listen to what I'm about to say. You have major pollsters who not only got the 2016 presidential election wrong, but you have, but they got a lot of the key races in 2018 wrong. Remember all the pollsters who told us that Beto O'Rourke was going to win the Senate election in Texas? They were all wrong. And I wrote a column about how they were going to be wrong. They had uh, almost every single pollster got Florida wrong. There were two major races in Florida in 2018. The governor's race between Ron DeSantis and Andrew Gillum. And yes, it was close, but almost no one predicted DeSantis was going to win, and he did. And the same thing in the Senate race with Rick Scott. And Rick Scott won that race. So the fact is, you've got a lot of pollsters who got key elections wrong over the last four years, and more than that. They almost always get it wrong as far as the margin of victory or defeat when it comes to a conservative Republican candidate. In other words, they might get the winner right, but even when they get the winner correct, they've almost always undercounted the conservative or Republican candidate's numbers. I can't remember the last time a conservative candidate's numbers were overestimated. A conservative Republican Plenty of times they've beaten the polls, but has there ever been a time where a Republican has won an election and the pollsters thought he was going to win by more, or a Republican lost an election and the pollsters thought he or she was going to win? Can't think of any. That's one thing. But the point is, let's just talk logically for a second with one another. If pollsters keep getting elections wrong, and yet they still get hired, and they still get heavily quoted in the news, then logically their job and their value to their clients and to others who promote them is not their predictive abilities. In other words, they want something or like something other than how they predict elections are going to come out. Or I should say other than accuracy. If accuracy is really what they were paying for and really what they wanted, then these folks would not be <laughs> hired right now. They, wouldn't, they, would be, they would be out of a job. You have this pollster named Frank Luntz who says, well, if the big pollsters get this election wrong again, like they did in 2016, and a lot of them got 2018 wrong, then the polling industry is out of business. Well, Frank Luntz doesn't, at least isn't being publicly honest or isn't really smart enough to know what these, the value of these pollsters really is. For a lot of these news networks and organizations, the value is pretty obvious. They want to create a groundswell of support for liberal candidates. In other words, they're just looking for that kind of help. They don't really care so much about the accuracy. They just want the public to hear over and over that the liberal or the Democrat candidate is ahead or doing very, very well. And whether or not they're right in the end about the, that candidate winning doesn't matter. They've created basically a free campaign ad, a free campaign rally type um, uh, mechanism during the election. That's one value that, that they have. There's another very important value that these pollsters have that has nothing to do with accuracy. It allows news media organizations and political parties, but especially news media organizations, to avoid the real work of covering elections and politics in this country. 
You know, when you open a newspaper or take a look at a news website, and this has been true for years, the overwhelming majority of, quote, coverage of any given election is really mostly about the polls, which requires no research, no brain power, no real footwork, no real legwork, right? All you need to do is say, here's what the numbers say. And then you can go back to bed. A real analysis of a tax plan, you know, boring, right? That's hard work. They usually outsource that to some organization, which is usually very liberal or or conservative one way or the other. Sometimes they'll say they're nonpartisan, but that's really... The word nonpartisan has become so unfairly used around. For example, I hear a lot of people saying that PolitiFact is nonpartisan. PolitiFact is just so clearly liberal-leaning, Democrat-leaning in the way that they judge whether politicians are telling the truth or not, that it's almost just not worth reading anything they have to say. But remember, this is a tremendous value for a, protect, for a network or a newspaper. If I can get a pollster to, t- to, to, to do the work for me of making it all about the numbers and then I don't have to do any real work about a candidate, that's one of the reasons why they love these pollsters. And it looks like they're really brainy and they're going through all these numbers and all that. And it just sounds like, wow, they're really covering the election. Folks, that's not covering an election. Repeating what a pollster tells you is not covering an election. And also about 90% of the journalists or people on TV who are talking about polls don't understand the math of polls and don't understand the science of polls anyway. So that is a huge reason why these pollsters keep getting hired, keep getting quoted, keep getting so much prominent uh, notice in, in the public. Because their job, their value to the people who are paying them and giving them attention is not accuracy. That is not important to them. What's important to them is basically doing a campaign rally or becoming a promoter of, of, of their political side and also just helping them avoid the hard work of the election. And I just want to mention one more thing briefly, and that is what we saw on Sunday in New York City. There was a large Jews for Trump rally, a car caravan, and then the rally ended up in Marine Park in Brooklyn, but there was also a smaller rally in Manhattan. And there were a number of instances of Antifa and other groups physically attacking the Jews for Trump rally. There was one person who sucker punched a, 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 a Jewish person at one of those rallies. There were people who had their car rocks thrown at their cars, <laughs> reminiscent of what goes on in Israel, very sad. And there were uh, cases of people having red paint thrown at, at them. And I can spend a lot more time than I have. And again, if you look at my Twitter feed, you'll, fa- you'll find the columns I've written about the whole Jews and Trump issue. Um, but the anger at Jewish people who support Trump and the way that that incites violence is really, really disturbing. It should be incredibly disturbing. And I'm happy to say that in some of the instances, the Jews for Trump at the rallies fought back very well from people who were trying to attack them. It wasn't like they just ran away, and that was a good sign. But folks, if people standing up with flags and driving a car caravan is inducing violence from folks against Jews, that's not on the Jews. <laughs> that's on the people who attack them. The people who attack them have something going on up there. And if a candidate is really triggering, triggering you in this way, that's about you. That's not about the person. And we really have to come to grips with that as a community. Now, look, most American Jews or people who at least identify as Jews obviously are not going to vote for Donald Trump. We, most Jews in this country vote for the Democratic candidate no matter what. It's one of the things that's always bothered me because if you take a look at the really prosperous groups in this country, both economically and in many other ways, the, they're free agents. 
politically. And I wish that more Jews would be, I wish that the Jewish vote would be more of a question every year, more of a toss-up. But when it comes to Orthodox Jews and Torah observant Jews, Donald Trump has a tremendous lead and will win that group very decisively. And I think that unfortunately tells us a lot about the state of the, of the Jew, Jewish community in America right now, really going in different directions and with different priorities. But these attacks on Jews for Trump's rally, true Jews for Trump rally should be more than about religion. It's about how one side is violent and the other side is not. And that is really, really disturbing when you consider either side could win this election. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'll speak to you again next week.